morning, Kavanaugh. Everybody good? Man, wow. What excellent worship that was. Give the praise team a big hand. Woo! Man, I tell you what, when I come out of that grave, I thought some of you were going to come out of your pew there. And uh, man, that was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Glad that you're here. Uh, what a marvelous day it is to be in the Lord's house. Uh, I told the first service, uh, I'm preaching, of course, a series of messages on praise. You know what number this is? What praise message this is? It's number six, all right? Uh, in my never-ending series on praise, all right? This is sermon number six. Uh, we're learning how to praise the Lord. Psalm 150, verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Why? Because he is worthy. He is worthy to receive our praise. He is holy, holy, holy. And seven times a day, I'm going to praise the Lord. How about you? And uh, we're, we're learning how to do that. Th this sermon, I actually started writing it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I, it, it was just, it was slow in coming. And it just, it, it's, it's not the way I normally preach a message. And so I had to back off of it. And I've had it on uh, the, the back broiler for the last two weeks simmering. And that's usually not good for you guys when something's been simmering for two weeks. But it is a great passage of scripture that I'm going to share with you in the form of a parable. Now, when I was a, a, a young teenager, my pastor was Keith Woody. And uh, I can remember a lot of things that Brother Keith taught us, but he taught us the meaning of a parable, and he gave this definition for it. He said, a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning to it. And Jesus was expert at teaching in parables. Well, I'm not very good at it. But today I want to share with you a historical earthly story that really happened and apply a heavenly meaning to it. This sermon is entitled, The Piracy of Praise. You see, the modern church, and let me be more specific than that, the American modern church has suffered the theft of one of its most valuable treasures, namely biblical praise. At some point in our not-too-distant past, the church was victimized. The result is that praise is no longer central in our program. If such were no more serious than the loss of some precious commodity, that would be one thing. But the fact of the matter is this. In the wake of its loss, there has come to be an atmosphere in the American church that is so foreign to praise that there is both a fear of biblical praise and a resistance to it. A.W. Tozer indicated the profound loss of this facet of the church's greatest treasure when he entitled one of his little books, Worship, the Missing Jewel of the Church. I'm here to tell you, guys, the crown jewels of the church have been stolen. The old ship, the church, has been the victim of piracy on the high seas of time. The devil has stolen our praise. Out of the past comes a parable of this theft. It appears to us in the book of 1 Kings chapter 10. 
when in verse number 14, we are informed that Solomon, at the peak of his splendor, received about 25 metric tons of gold in revenue every year. The verse goes on to tell us in verse 15, this did not include revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the other governors of the land. You see, God had made Solomon the wealthiest king ever. Now, let me back up and tell you how this happened. Uh, Solomon was, was anointed king. And God told Solomon, he said, Solomon, you can ask one thing. You can ask for anything, and I will grant you that one thing. So, so think carefully about it. What is the one thing you seek and desire more than anything else? Now, if, if God asked me that, you know, I, there's no telling what I would answer. Lord, I want to be the fastest cowboy shooter ever. Yeah, you know, maybe something crazy like that. I don't know. Most of us would probably ask for wealth or power or prestige or, or something like that. It's not what Solomon asked for. You know what he asked for. What was it? Wisdom. He said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm like a little kid that, that doesn't know what to do with all of these people you have entrusted to my care. So God, more than anything, give me wisdom. And God was so pleased with Solomon's request that he not only made him the wisest man who's ever lived, he also made him the wealthiest and most powerful man of all the kings of the universe. Never a king reigned as he did with such wisdom and glory and splendor and power. And early in his reign, Solomon gave God all the glory. And because of that, he remained wise and good. And as a symbol of his kingdom's wealth, gold flowed like water. I got your attention now, don't I? In fact, we have the little parable right here in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 16. Just one little snippet, one little picture of the wealth and blessing that Solomon had. And here's the beginning of our parable. Verse 16 says, King Solomon, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation because it does the, the figure in for us. Not, not equals not, all right? It does it for us here. It's Jeffro Bodine stuff right there. Some of y'all wouldn't get that. Verse 16, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, and each weighed more than 15 pounds. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, each weighing nearly 4 pounds. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. So here's what King Solomon had made. A total of 500 shields of hammered gold. 200 big ones and 300 smaller ones. Now, this past week I, I got on the internet and I, I searched the, the value of gold. And as of Thursday, the value of an ounce of gold was $1,352 and some change. Now understand that that goes up and down and fluctuates almost every day. But as of Thursday, it was about $13.52 an ounce. So I'm saying that to tell you, these big shields were worth $324,480 in today's economy. That's a hunk of gold, man. 
The, the smaller shields were worth $86,528. Well, shoot fire, I'd take a couple of the little ones. How about you? Yeah? You add all of that together and you have 500 shields worth $91 million. But guys, let me tell you, the dollar value does not present the whole story of these shields. These shields were symbols of splendor and blessing. They were used at formal gatherings and at festive events to honor the king in his comings and goings. It would be challenging to imagine in our mind's eye the splendor of Solomon's kingdom on display. His temple was among one of the wonders of the world. And it has been estimated that in today's economy, if that temple were duplicated, it would cost about $200 billion to build that temple. In fact, when the Queen of Sheba was invited to visit Solomon's kingdom, just listen to her response. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 6. She said, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even the half was told unto me. In wisdom and in wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you to hear your wisdom. And I love what she said next. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And the queen of Sheba was so impressed that she responded with gifts of gold of her own. She gave Solomon $194 million worth of gold and countless spices and precious stone. The record goes on to tell us that Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all of the kings of the earth. The whole world, now stop and think about this, the whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had placed in his heart. And as the people came to hear this wisdom, and it was a constant train of people coming, they brought him silver and gold and spices and robes and weapons and horses and mules and donkeys and apes and monkeys and everything else. <laughs> you name it. Solomon had it. Life was good in the palace. That's when he was young. But as Solomon grew older, his heart became spiritually dull. Now, I could go into detail and tell you some of the stuff that he did, but I think it would be better if I just read it to you. I don't have this on the screen, but listen, listen to this account given in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Right there's his downfall, man. That's what tripped this guy up. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Eden, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. 
The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, You must not marry them, because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord God. Now guys, I'm just talking to the guys right now. Ladies, plug up your ears. I know how much influence one woman can have on your life. I cannot imagine having 1,000. That's just me. No no word said. That's just me. Listen to this, verse 4. I made some of y'all mad right then, didn't I? I'm not not sorry. Verse 4, in Solomon's... I need to preach a sermon on this. I can feel it. I I mean, you don't need... You don't need a thousand wives. You can't even take care of the one you got, guys. I mean... Anyway, that's something. Anyway. Do what? Read the text. Okay. (laughs) Say, I can't handle the one I got. I mean, she's talking back to me right now. Is my face getting red? We're already in trouble, Jason. So you haven't been married long enough, but it's just a constant thing. I mean, it just. Read the text. (laughs) Verse 4. In Solomon's old age, they, these 1,000 wives, turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. And thus the downward spiral of not only Solomon, but of all the people. He continued to be reckless and rebellious and headstrong. So God raised up adversaries against Solomon to carry out the just punishment for his rebellion and his backsliding. One of these officials, Jeroboam, rebelled against him. Solomon tried to have Jeroboam killed, murdered, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt and he stayed there until after Solomon's death. Rehoboam... The son of Solomon followed Solomon as king. He was headstrong just like his pappy. He tried to institute more severe control over the people. And the result is the people of Israel revolted and rebelled. And the kingdom was divided. Ten of the tribes followed Jeroboam. Remember, he's been down in Egypt. When Solomon died and Rehoboam came into power, Jeroboam came back up and pulled these ten tribes together, and they revolted against Rehoboam. Only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, stayed with Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon by an Ammonite woman. Thus, he was the product of Solomon's rebellion. And the nation just continued to weaken and fall apart under his leadership. They did stuff like this. They built foreign 
God's temples throughout the land. They engaged in the detestable practices of their enemies, including male prostitutes who traveled through the country. Thus the weakened kingdom fell prey to the nations around it. And in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, it tells us that King Shishak from Egypt came and carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and of the palace. And included in the plunder that he hauled back to Egypt were these golden shields that Solomon had made. King Rehoboam seemed helpless to fend off the attack. Nor was he powerful enough to mount a counterattack. So he just let the shields go. And instead, he made brass shields to replace the golden shields. And he gave these brass shields to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance of the royal palace. Shields of brass for shields of gold. And tragically, this was the last recorded event in the pitiful reign of Rehoboam, son of Solomon. Okay? Now that's just a little history. Now let me talk about the parable itself. What is a parable? It is an earthly story that has a spiritual truth to it. And I don't think it's difficult to see in this regrettable story a parable that is of current significance to us. There has been a weakening of our spiritual defenses. I'll say that again. There has been a weakening of our spiritual defenses. Whether it is America as a nation, or the church, Or individual Christians. There has been a weakening of our spiritual defenses. Spiritual decline has come about in America, in American churches, and in the average American Christian home. There's been a decline. And in our weakened condition, the enemy, who is the devil, has taken the greatest treasure of the church... Biblical praise. And we have been content to substitute the brass of man for the gold of God. With our nation we've done it. With our churches we've done it. And with our families we've done it. We have substituted brass for gold. Now... That's kind of the parable. There are seven points to the parable. And don't freak out because, man, we're going to... You ready? Because I'm going real quick. First point of the parable is this. that There is a likeness or a similitude of gold to praise. How is praise like gold? Well, gold is the last reducible. You heat gold to the boiling point, it's only going to result in a finer quality of gold. In almost every society, gold is the standard of value, and it has been for centuries. It is the gauge of values and a sign of blessing, of excellence, and even of glory and purity. Now, the Word of God tells us that there is going to be gold 
everywhere in heaven. In fact, gold is God's asphalt. The streets of heaven are going to be paved in gold. It's pure. It's plentiful. And the same thing is true for praise. You see, praise is a common denominator. It's interesting that the premium word for praise in the Bible is the word hallelujah. I just like saying hallelujah. Say it with me. One, two, three. Hallelujah. And the cool thing about that word is it's translated and spoken the same way in every language on the face of this earth. Hallelujah. Heaven is filled with both gold and praise. Gold and praise have a whole lot in common. Number two, the symbolism of the shields. Now, you know what a shield stands for. A shield stands for protection in battle. The purpose of these golden shields, however, was not for warfare. They were made for a testimony. They were a sign of God's blessings upon the nation. When they were hauled out for formal purposes, the whole nation took note of the signs of their splendor. Their excellence was motivating. They would line these shields up for hundreds of yards, and the gleaming rays of the sun spoke volumes to visiting dignitaries as well as the people of Israel. They spoke of the blessings of God upon Solomon and his kingdom. Number three, the stolen shields. When Shishak came and took the treasures of the kingdom, including these golden shields, it was an indication of the consummate weakness on the part of Israel. Let me put it like this. Their national heart was gone. They had lost heart. They had no power to resist the enemy, nor had they any power or enthusiasm to recover the plunder taken in the attack. Their glory was gone. The nation had lost its soul. The excellence was no more. And they simply became an empty hull of the greatness they once were. Think on that for a second. Number four, the substitute shields. Almost as pathetic as the loss of the golden shields was the response of King Rehoboam. Regretfully admitting the loss, he compromised. And he made these cheaper brass shields. It was clearly a a cheap substitute for the real thing. Brass was plentiful and brass was cheap. These shields would cost nothing compared to their counterparts, the gold ones, and they would shine if enough human elbow grease was applied. And people who didn't really know any better from a hundred yards away couldn't tell that they were brass anyway. But listen to these bullet points. Brass may shine for a while, but brass is going to tarnish over time. Gold will never tarnish. Brass must be kept polished by the work of human flesh. Gold is genuinely pure through and through and has no inner impurities to tarnish it. You know what? Church, let me... 
The same thing is true for praise. You could substitute praise for gold because praise itself will never tarnish. Praise is pure through and through. But alas, we have substituted the brass of form for the gold of spontaneous worship to our God. We have substituted the brass of order for the gold of exciting adoration for the greatness of God Almighty who sits on the throne of the universe. In the name of dignity, we have honored death. We have disguised boredom behind the mask of quietness and meditation. Now, let me tell you something, people. There's nothing wrong with being quiet in the presence of God. In fact, we have indication from the Word of God. Sometimes that's what God wants from us, for us just to stand there and let our hands hang low and say nothing and do nothing and wait on Him. And it's good for us to do that. But you know what? We have allowed that theme to permeate our lives, our families, and the church. There is nothing quiet about biblical praise. It is loud and it is rowdy. <laughs> and heaven is full of it. But we're living in a day of brass instead of a day of gold. The shields of praise have been stolen. And we have fashioned shields of brass in their place. You see, church, the, the golden shields lined the path to the king's house. Are you with me? They would bring these golden shields out and they would line the path to the king's house. In our day, praise lines the path to the house of our God. Gold was used to welcome and reveal the king in all of his splendor. Praise welcomes God in his splendor and reveals his glory. Gold both reveals and motivates excellence. And the same thing is true with praise. What did God say? I inhabit the praise of my people. It is gold. It's gold. But there's always a cost to compromise. That's number five. The deceit of compromise is that it never produces what it promises. It promises something for less, but it never works out for long. The brass will soon reveal itself to be just that, brass. And sooner or later, somebody is bound to ask the question, where did all the gold go? And sooner or later, somebody is bound to ask the question, what's happened to the church? Now guys, let me tell you, this is, so, this is so practical and so real and so close that you, you need to see it today. I'm, I'm not real old. How am I old? Oh, I'm 50, I forget, 50-something, 6 maybe, 7, 14. I feel like I'm 12 right now because i got my cool shoes on. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. 
I ought to be able to jump, but I can't. So, In my lifetime, right now, if I could transport you, I could take you to, I'm thinking, of, right now I'm thinking in my head of five locations in five different cities where at one time in my lifetime was a thriving, growing, free will Baptist church. And today that building is empty in five locations. A church that at one point in time was growing and thriving because they were worshiping, praising God is no longer even in existence today. It's died. And you know why? I can tell you why. Because I was a part of many of these churches. I was close to all of these churches. I can tell you why. Here's the problem. The people took their eyes off of worshiping and praising God and put their focus on themselves. And they became more concerned with their own pleasures, their own desires, their own wishes. You take care of us. You take care of me. We want all the programs in the church to apply to the flesh and how we feel. They became more concerned with them than they did with God and His kingdom. And anytime we take our worship off of God and put it on something else, the end is in sight. You may, you may, you may think, you know, Kavanaugh's such a great church. It could, it, that could never happen here. Oh yes. oh, yes, it could. In a shorter time than you could probably even imagine when our focus is taken off of God. Guys, I'm going to tell you, we've, we've, we've got to fight for praise. And that brings me to point number six, the value of praise. Gold never depreciates, nor does praise. For the church, praise is not only the symbol of excellence and blessing, it is our chief means of protection. It is our primary weapon against the devil. And it is going to require deliberation and determination for us to reclaim praise. But you know what, church? We've got to have it. We must storm the gates of hell if necessary. We must risk ridicule and opposition. And we must personally repent in order to recover praise. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. We must not settle for anything less than the best. And the best is praise. The value of praise is of such importance that our enemy will mount all of his opposition to keep the church from recovering it. I mean, he's the one who took it in the first place. And he doesn't want us to have it back. And he will work overtime to keep us from becoming a praise-giving church. Compromise, which is the primary sin has been followed by our surrender under the devil's duress. Pressures from man's systems has resisted the recovery of praise and will continue to do so. I am free will Baptist through and through. Cut me open, I'll be bleed blue for free will Baptist. I am a free will Baptist. I believe our doctrine. I'll stand behind it. But you know what? My denomination in my lifetime has been opposed to biblical praise. I can guarantee you this. When I first started ministry 30 years ago, if I would have preached these sermons, I would have probably been kicked out of the denomination. 
from my region and where I was from. I love Free Will Baptist. I am one. But if it comes to it, kick me out. Now, you understand what I'm saying? Because I'm going to praise the Lord. It's biblical. It's truth. Now, don't worry. Free, free Will Baptists are coming around. We really are. Yeah, problem with Free Will Baptists, we're about 40 years later than everybody else in doing anything. Which, but let me back up and say, you know what? That's not always bad. Anyway, I got off on that too, man. I, I just keep getting off on everything, don't I? Let me say this. Th there will always be Michaels. You know who Michael was, a female? David's wife. I'm going to preach a sermon on her. It ticked her off when David praised God. She got so mad. Woo! She was mad. I'll, I'll tell you about it here in a few weeks. There's always going to be Michaels and Pharisees who will resist praise wherever it rises. But guys, we've got to praise the Lord. No matter what the cost. And that leads me to point number seven. A word to the church. In fact, I'm going to make this a word to our church. Thomas McCauley, a British historian who died on the eve of the Civil War in America, wrote a warning to America. He wrote this years ago. That's what he said. Your republic will be laid waste by barbarians in the 20th century as Rome was in the 5th century with this difference. The Huns and Vandals who ravaged the Roman Empire came from without. While your Huns and Vandals will attack from within. Engendered by your own institutions. <laughs> wow, when I read that I thought, how prophetic. Because it's happening. Guys, open your eyes. It's happening right here in America. But it's not only happening in America. It's happening in American churches. Why were the shields stolen? They were stolen not because King Shishak decided to come and steal them. They were stolen because the nation crumbled from within. And it started on the part of the leadership. God's people took their eyes off of God and they sinned. Sin separates us from God. Why has praise been stolen from the church? Same reasons. I boiled it down to two from our parable. Two reasons. Number one, sin. You can't praise and worship God when sin is in your heart and your eyes are on other things. It, it, you just can't do it. You can't worship God. You can't praise God if something's wrong in your heart. These people speak words of worship to me, God says, but their hearts are far from me. Second thing is compromise. We, we've, just, we've compromised everything. And we have become comfortable with the brass 
of man. I'm, I'm not real original, but I did pin these words, and, and here's, here's what come out of my heart and my mind. Listen to this. We have become comfortable to do as little as possible to make us feel as good as we can. And that's where we are. And we think everything's okay. Because we've been rubbing our brass shields. And they're looking pretty good. You're not getting it, so let me tell you a story. It's not real. Just I made this up. <laughs> Guy died. He was a good Christian man. Loved the Lord. Loved to worship God. Loved to praise God. Seven times a day he praised God. He died on a Sunday morning real early. And he was excited when he opened his eyes and was in heaven because it was Sunday. He, th he thought to himself, this is so awesome. I'm going to get to walk down the streets of gold and hear the praise of heaven. And be able to look down and watch my fellow man praise God as well. I've got praise in heaven and I'll see praise on earth. And so an angel was escorting him down the, the golden streets. And sure enough, praise was everywhere in heaven. People were worshiping. Angels were worshiping. Saints were worshiping the king that is on the throne. And he looked down, and it was like he looked down, and, and all the, the roofs and ceilings of churches were, were pulled away. And he could see down into the congregation. And there he saw both small churches and large churches. He saw churches with huge choirs and mass orchestras. He saw cool churches with, with praise bands and praise teams. And, and he saw the people out there and they were standing. Some were raising their hands and all of their mouths were moving. But he could hear nothing. And so he turned to the angel and he said, Why can't I hear their praise? Why can't I hear their worship? To which the angel responded, Oh, they're not really worshiping. They're just having church. You didn't get that either, did you? Let's admit it. Sometimes we just polish the brass. And we come in here and we do church. Sometimes you just polish your heart and you do life. We have substituted a synthetic thing, brass, that cannot and will not pass the test of heaven. Church, let's reclaim the gold of praise. And it can only start when you open your heart up to the Lord. You repent of your sins and of your compromise. And you lay your life down on an altar and say, Lord, here I am. Lock, stock, and barrel. Take all there is of me. And you live your life for his praise, honor, and glory. 
And then you know what? When you do that, and that represents your home, whenever you come here and sit where you're sitting and praise where you're praising, it just naturally happens. And I can tell you this, being down here today, what's that song say? I came out of that grave. I don't know, but I was just thinking, I think they heard that in heaven. Amen? I think they heard that one. Let's make it that way all the time.